Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Deb Eden, who is the New South Wales Police Force first female dog handler. Deb will be picking who she thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Hindji food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey Deb, how are you going? Hey, how you going, Laura? Good, thank you. <laughs> how was your day, Deb? Good, yeah, no, going, going good. We've got lots of lambs on the ground at the moment, so, um, yeah, just busy making sure that's all all okay. Keep, keeping them dry, a bit wet up there? Oh, we had a bit of um, oh, a few really hot days with a lot of storms, and we actually got one lamb that, um, <laughs> surprisingly enough, got a bit fly bone but um he didn't make it um so that's sort of very unusual because it happened in such a short time and very very quickly so yeah so busy um busy doing that and for the people out there that don't know Deb Eden do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself sure uh so I'm originally from the northern beaches in Sydney um down at Avalon um grew up there um I'm uh, one of four kids uh we lived on a like in a house high up on a hill basically um and if ever us kids needed to go anywhere we had to walk or bike it or anything like that anyway we were heavily involved in the surf club and nippers and you know and that sort of thing um so grow up grew up with a passion for uh, for horses, but obviously we didn't, you know, we weren't set up for horses or, or anything. And my parents sort of said to me at the time, the only time you're going to get a horse is when you finish your HSC and you've done year 12 and then you can get a horse. So um, I literally waited until my last exam, um, found a horse in Duffy's Forest and bought this little Arab gelding. Um, could have been disastrous because I only rode him for about 20 minutes, but I just <laughs> fell in love. I was just so keen. Um, and he went on to win a lot of ribbons. We won um, the National Arabian um, Stud Horse Show. We won uh, uh, champion double registered and a few things like that. Um, so I spent a lot of my time grovelling somehow to get a lift from Avalon up to Duffy's Forest so I could ride my horse at the riding school he was at. Um, I even remembered uh, jumping on the back of some fast motorbike um, and having to go around Bill Golder Bends and I was terrified. But whichever way I could get up there to ride these, these horses, you know, I was prepared to do so I'd waited long enough so I I you know any anything was um you know I'd, I'd jump at any chance um after that so I finished year 12 uh I moved out of home almost straight away I moved out to uh Wilberforce and I worked for a really lovely dressage lady out at Wilberforce that was meticulous with her dressage horses um she had quite a lot of warm bloods and and ones that were retired 
and she taught me um you know just about grooming and caring for these horses and even the retired horses were groomed every day you know their feet were cleaned out their frogs purple sprayed um the, their stables had to be immaculate not an ounce of manure left in them and she really set me up for the best start in anything i did because i i knew you know to be fairly finicky and perfection was sort of yeah went went from there so um after that i i um i bought another arab from the same breeder as my first horse um out at um freeman's reach and broke in a, a five-year-old arab actually um she wasn't broken in because she had a nasty um scar on her nose um and yeah spent all my money on lessons and showing and uh competed in um saddle classes um arabian saddle classes and some halter but um, mainly under saddle um and we did mainly at the big shows we did east coast championships um the um the nationals and uh there's one other I just can't really think. Oh, Sydney Royal was one we did and it took me about three years and we won uh, um, at Sydney Royal, the Arabian Mare Under Saddle. So that was a really big achievement. Um, and then we won Bridal Path Hack. She won everything. She was just really successful. But again, like, um, you know, that was my passion. That was, I'd waited so long to get there. So I was so focused and so driven on um, putting all my time and money and energy into, into the horses. Um, so it was during that time uh, I discovered that I wasn't going to be a millionaire working with horses. <laughs> uh, I decided I better get a real job. And uh, that's when I, I thought about, you know, joining the police force. So I joined when I was 23. Um, at that time, it was more of a mature aged um, student. Um, but it was a really good start because I had had some, you know, worldly experiences um, compared to a lot of the young ones that go straight from school, uh, straight, straight from high school down to the academy. Uh, so I did six months down there, uh, came out, and my first station was Castle Hill. So from there I did about three years in general duties, and I remember going to a job in Borkham Hills that uh, needed a police dog um, for it. And, yeah, we got there and I saw this uh, police dog car and the handler in there and I... I was so nervous, but I bravely sort of went up to him and said good day and said, oh, you know, are there any women in the dog squad, you know? And he's like, no, no, but we're looking for one. And I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> you could have knocked me over with a feather. I was so <laughs> Um And I just thought, right, from then, I'm that's, that's me. I'm in. So... I joined up at the gym the very next day. Uh, I did lots of weight training, lots of fitness training. Um, I ran 4Ks every day with a backpack and 
I had bricks in the backpack and I ran with my German Shepherd at the time and I used to run 4Ks every day and try and beat my try and beat my time every um every day. So I was so driven. I collected any information I could about the dog squad and what I could find out, what I needed to do. Um, and the next step was basically to get myself on an induction course. And an induction course is where police officers um, go and do a bit of a, it's, it's a bit of an insight into, you know, a week of the dog squad and what it's like out on the road. So um, I applied for one of those. Oh, first of all, induction courses rarely come around. You've basically got to wait for a dog handler to die or uh, leave the dog squad because at the time back then there were um, 12 dog handlers in four regions. So my region was the Northwest region um and then there was southwest north and south and there were 12 dog handlers per region so 48 all up so and that's that was all they had back in those days so um anyway got myself on an induction course um and that was five days of really intense uh training where you did a lot of scenarios um and lifelike situations with um, dog handlers and their police dogs and they would set up training tracks like um, you know uh, tracking with one of their dogs like the handler would track and you would just sort of you know follow along um, lots of sort of fitness tests and things like that um, they had to take or before you even started they had to do, you had to do a fitness test um, you know, check your heart rate and your blood pressure and your, you know, um, body fat and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, so, yeah, um, away I go on this induction course and there were seven, I've just found the paperwork actually, there were seven um, applicants, uh, five blokes and two girls. So, and obviously I was one of them. Um, we learnt a lot in that week. Um, it was a lot of fitness like we would have to um, run through really intense dense bushland um, with uh, other dog handlers um, we would go through sort of rough terrain you may have to go across sort of rivers or wade you know wade through water or um, across logs like and you were just running your heart out the whole time like you just um, because these blokes had eyes at the back of their, he their heads. They knew if you were slacking off or you were <laughs> back, you know, just, you know, jogging along like they knew. And um, that day sifted out a couple of um, a couple of, of guys, um, you know, they ended up with injuries and had to, had to retire from the course. Um, anyway, it seemed like we'd been running for hours and we got to the end and they gave us a scenario. Okay, what, what happens if you, um, if your dog gets injured, you know, out on a track, you're out in the middle of nowhere, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to have to carry the dog back, aren't you? Like he's injured. So they said, right, oh, get back there. There's, um, five or six bags of shavings, um, and they're in Hessian bags. They weighed about. I don't know, 15 to 20 kilos, 
and you had to carry these bags back. Um, and 15 to 20 kilos is the size of a Kelpie, so not the size of a German Shepherd. So they were being kind on us. And I think there was one or two bags less than what we were there. So basically, you, occasionally you didn't have to carry one because they were being sort of shared around. Um, anyway, this was your dog. So going through water and all that sort of stuff, you had to carry it up. You couldn't let him get wet. Juggling, you know, sort of climbing up canals and all sorts of things. It was it was a really, you know, true to life um, scenario. Um, but yeah, so they test you of things like that. Um, but on the last day was the most frightening day I've had ever in my life. Um, we had to run for an attack dog. So um, I'm going to say there was five of us then. I was the only girl at that time. Um, the other girl um, injured herself. Um, and, but yeah, anyway, um, so what you had to do, so there were dog handlers there. They taught you, uh, you had to wear a padded arm, a padded attack arm, and you had to entice the dog and get it really aggressive and just pretend that you were just a really, you know, aggressive offender and, you know, didn't take much to get these dogs wound up. They 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 knew their job. Anyway, so I watched a few blokes go and I'm like, right, yep, I think I've got this. Okay, right, my turn. And I lined up in front of a, a handler whose dog was named Barney. And Barney was a long-haired German Shepherd, I reckon about 40 kilos, this big, hairy monster, and he was savage. And anyway, so enticed the dog, got him all excited, and then turned and off I ran. I made the fatal mistake, okay? Instead of they teach you to pull your arm and elbow, like, right out away from your body. I missed that part of the day. <laughs> I don't know where I was uh, and I'm running my heart out and just knowing this canine with teeth bearing is boring down on you like a steam train was just, you were crapping yourself. It was frightening. Anyway, he's hit me at the side of my side because I, I didn't have my arm out. I had it close to my body, but I had it out away from my body. Yay, but not quite the right thing. He hit me with such force. I did a huge somersault in the air, landed on the ground with his dog on top of me. And all I could think of is get up, get up, get up, you know, because the part of the um, uh, uh, scenario was, you had to get up and play with the dog with the arm. Like whilst he's hanging on your arm, it's part of the game. It's part of the whole experience for them. It's the best activity in the world for them. They love it. And so this little, you know, voice in my head was just get up, get up. So up I got and anyway, dog handler came and pulled the dog off my arm and I walked back to the group, tail between my legs going, oh, shit. You know, I've just, I've stuffed it. You know, I've just shown that I'm weak. The dog can knock me over. Uh, I just, all these horrible thoughts came into my head and I just, I was dead. So anyway, the final 
uh, afternoon, we had to all sort of sit in our group and just debrief, you know, what do you think of the course? Course is over. Do you still want to be a dog handler? What did you like? What didn't you like about it? You know, that general sort of thing. And all the other blokes pretty much said the same thing. Great course, loved it. Yes, I want to be a dog handler. You know, fantastic, terrific. And I just thought to myself, I want to say something different. Like, you know, I, I <laughs> blend in. So, yes, you know, I did say it was a fantastic course, I said, but there were times I was really scared. Like what we just did was absolutely terrifying. And that's where in life, if you can show that bit of honesty, put yourself out there, okay, and at the end of the day, no one can say that running for an attack dog with an arm is not frightening. Hello. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, that gave me a lot of brownie points. I learnt later uh, that I was honest and, you know, I had the balls to get back up and get into it. Like just don't fall in a heap and, you know, cry. Like just get into it. So, um yeah, anyway, so there was one position and, you know, thankfully uh, I was told, you know, uh, a few weeks, I can't remember how long, but I was I was told I was the successful applicant. So, um, yeah, it was fantastic. So I had to wait a year until the novice dog squad course was running because there were uh, other other induction courses that had to be done in other areas. So, um, yeah, basically headed down to Goulburn. I get down there and there's my dog. He's in the kennel and I know nothing about him, but there he is. And I, I was told his name was Jake. So off I go to get him. And that's him in the pictures, okay, behind me. So Jake was about... 23 kilos he wasn't a big burly wolf-headed german shepherd he was short uh some dog handlers used to tease me and call him a corgi (laughs) (laughs) that i really hated that um anyway but he was perfect for my stature i was 50 kilos ringing wet there i just like a like a greyhound so they match the the dog with the person you know hence i ended up with jake and my god that dog was just he was a legend he um he had the best nose he loved tracking that was his um that was his forte uh and he just had a brilliant temperament a brilliant mind and at times just would not switch off. That nose dictated everything. So a um, little bit of trivia for for everyone. Um, humans have 5 million olfactory cells in their nose, okay? A dash hound, and I know you guys have got dash hound. <laughs> a dash hound has 125 million olfactory cells in their little nose. Well, a German Shepherd has 220 million. Wow. So they have the capacity to walk into your house and go, oh, 
oh, Laura, you've cooked a baked dinner and, oh, you've washed the floors and you've done this and I can smell the other dogs in here and I can smell that and that and that. They, they just get this massive waft of smell wherever they go. And basically, as a police dog, we try and um, just retune their natural um, instinct and natural ability to smell and hunt for food. Um, and we make them smell and, uh, well, not hunt, but we, we make them find human scent. Yeah, like, effectively they are, right? You're, you're teaching them to, to search, to hunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so whether it's for missing kids or offenders or, you know, any of that type of stuff, um, you know, multitude of things, you're just redirecting what, you know, what their, you know, their whole being is but just fine-tuning it. So, yeah, yeah. So. so once you got down to Goulburn and, and got your dog, Jake, and all the rest, what's the process from there to actually become part of the dog squad? Like is there another whole selection to make the team? Yeah, it's, right. Once you get down there, you're not in. You're not in the dog squad. <laughs> like you're not cheering and going, yay, yay, I made it. You have, I think it was about 16 weeks, you have a 16-week novice dog handler course that you have to do and you get tested every week you can fail you know first week into the course see ya go back to your your um patrol and go back to gds so this they have this hanging over your head the whole time so you've got to you've got to improve you know every week okay you and your dog have got to improve like yes they're there to teach you and guide you but you've got to put the pieces of the puzzle together and you've got to show that you're you know you're moving forward and you're getting somewhere so um that i might just sort of quickly talk about um as it so we Back at, in the, in my era, um, we only ever had general purpose police dogs, okay? Right. Now they're specialised and they have different dogs for different specialised sort of areas and that type of stuff. But back then there was only a general purpose police dog. So um, what they were taught was obedience, agility, tracking, searching, man work and drug work. So... Um, you know, basically, uh, like, you know, that one of the main areas we use as a as a dog handler with our dogs is obedience and agility. Everything we do is based around those two sort of areas. So we trained a lot in that area, um, you know, with them. Um, so on our um, Friday. Oh, exam day, you know, we had theory and then we had our practical exam. Well, my boss, Ross Parkin, I don't know whether I should have said his name, <laughs> he was coming down to sack me, okay? I didn't know that. He told me this later. I had no idea. Anyway, so down he came and um, I'll just touch a little bit on tracking and then I'll go into a bit of detail just to explain what tracking is. So tracking is when you put a harness on a dog and you attach a long line like a lunge lead 
Okay, and this is where a lot of my horse skills came into um, just such good value because, you know, your line work, the attention on your lead, uh, on your long line, like you, you couldn't let it um, be saggy or anything. Yeah, you had to have sort of just that right amount of tension on the line. So many things that related to uh, my horse experiences related back to dogs. So, um, you know, that, that, was, that gave me a really good head start without even realising it. So tracking, okay, so you um, basically want that dog to put his nose down on the ground and keep it down on the ground and track, um, say, you know, an offender that's gone <coughs> in a straight line from A to B, okay? And you want that dog to put his nose down, track his footsteps on the ground to the very end where the offender is, okay? That's in an ideal world, you know, that's what you want. Well, week one, that's all we've been taught. Now, there's lots of factors to take into consideration. Um, you know, the wind, wind direction, um, you know. Humidity. Humidity, the time, like um, how long the track had been laid. Sun um, exposure. Sorry? Sun exposure. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. A lot of those things um, sort of came into it. But anyway, that's okay because I knew what the exam was, okay? I got a track from A to B, straight line, yep, should, should, should get this. And you've got to make sure all your techniques, your handling skills and everything is right. You've got to, you know, <coughs> I won't go into it because it'll, yeah, probably bore everybody. <laughs> so anyway, on this particular exam, we get from A, we get to B, and then there's no article at point B and the track turns right. So it was a complete 90 degree track, like in the shape of an L. So I get to the end right on B and you, you can't see anything. It just looks like you're out in a paddock, okay? You're in a paddock and the dog comes off the point and he does a big wide circle and then he comes back to the track because, you know, his whole demeanour changes. He lowers himself, the tail's going, you just, you learn to read your dog like they have um my dog was he was pretty easy to read like it was like this little light bulb going <laughs> on his head you know what but, was the heart doing then then oh it was just like oh, a good boy jake good boy. <laughs> you know and you've got to you got to show your praise and all of that at the time because they're on the right, right track the positivity and you've got to say good boy mate that's it good boy but once we were going right to point c we were going into a um a crosswind okay so the track he would go off the track and back on the track a little bit like a zigzag um this is one i prepared earlier <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so this is going to work. Okay, so basically yep. this is your start. There's your article, the pink one at the end. Okay, so the second part was where the wind is going across way. So the dog is his blue line. So he would come back to the track. Whoops. Yep. Oh, this way. Yeah, that's yeah, perfect. So he would come back to the track. 
okay? Then you go and step on that spot and then he'd go off and back on, back to the track. And you knew because of the way his body was and you knowing what your dog does when he indicates. Um, anyway, so we got to the end of the track and, oh, my God, like genuine praise is a huge thing when you train a dog, huge, okay? It comes from the heart. It comes from deep in, inside. And when he got to this article, which was like a rubber ring, I've just gone, good boy, you know, and I've gotten on the ground and I've cuddled him and I've hugged him. <laughs> I had tears streaming down my eyes because I'm just, I was so thinking, we haven't done a track like this. This, this We haven't done this, you know, <laughs> like what's going on? And then when he got to the article and it was like, oh, my God, we did it, you know. And my sergeant just shook his head. He's like, I can't sack her at that. She's <laughs> done a picture-perfect, you know, track. And I don't mean to – anyway, that that got me through. And the next part of the exam was the agility. So you would – the requirement was you had to jump, um, go over an agility – um, like a hurdle uh, or a um, up the stairs along a ramp. And at the end of that exercise, you had to put them in a stationary position. So my first one was the hurdle. Okay, Jake, off we go, hop, over the hurdle he goes. And we'd never done a stationary position before. We'd only ever got them over the hurdles. So suddenly, day one on this exam, we're doing something we've never done before. Anyway, so I'm like, oh. Am I going to do this? Righto, Jake, up. And then I've gone, set, like really firm and clear and concise. And that's what they teach you. And this dog's just turned around and dropped his ass and sat. And I've just gone, oh, did you see that? Instead <laughs> <laughs> of and I, all, I got yelled at that time, praise your, <laughs> praise your dog, you know. But again, I was just like, oh, my God, you know. So yeah. anyway, that's just a bit of an explanation about uh, one of the characteristics they look for in a dog handler, which is being genuine, you know, you, you and you can't fake it. Like you can try and fake it, but a, a good dog handler and a trainer knows genuine praise and, and that type of thing. So um, anyway, I ended up going on, completing my course and um, getting through um, and I actually ended up with ducks of my course, which was another big one. Yay! Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, so that was that. And then out we go, out into the real world. So, so now you graduated, you're in the I, I got a question before then. When you turn up there, so you get this dog, it's Jake, but how old is Jake? How do you go to bonding with that dog? Or how does that work before you even go into actually Good training question. it? And what is on Jake before you actually take yeah. the reins? And I had never been on a lead before. No, but like, <laughs> but like, what does he have to have passed, or what does he have Good on him before question. he gets to that level? Yep, great question. Great question. You might get a bag of injuries. I say you right there, Laura McKillop. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. Jake was older than most dogs we like to start. Most 
most um, trainee dogs um, come to us at 12 months of age. And at that stage, way back then, 1994, um, all our dogs came from members of the public who couldn't keep their dog for whatever reason. There were certain characteristics we would look for in that dog. Number one was temperament. Um, number two was um, that they needed um, to have a real high drive and a high retrieval. Um, basically, you throw a toy out and he races out, grabs a toy, brings it back to you because that's the bread and butter of all the work. Well, not all the work, a lot of the work that we do with police dogs. They're going out searching, they're finding something and they're bringing back, okay? So, again, you know, we're just modifying that natural instinct um, to suit what we need. So the high drive was a really important one. We certainly had to make sure that they weren't shy or timid. Um, we had to test them with guns, make sure they weren't gun shy, Um there was a whole lot of sort of other other things really, but you know, basically, yeah. Um, and at that stage, we only used German Shepherds, so um, yeah. So Jake came to us as uh, he was eighteen months old, and just um, yeah, just a what can I say? Like best dog in the world. Um, yeah. What was the, the other part of the question? How do you go bonding with that dog? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so once we get our dog, um, our training course down at Goulburn was five days a week and you'd go home on the weekends and you would practice, okay, and your dog comes home with you. So um, back then it was fantastic because it, your dog was with you 24-7. So just like us, when we finish work, dog comes home, comes in our house, bonds with our family, uh, I was a um, single girl at the time. Uh, I lived in a, a small townhouse at North Richmond, um, you know, small backyard, and um, uh, his kennel was um, was in the backyard. And he would um, relax and have his downtime, just, just like what you and I would do at the end of our working day. Um, you know, on weekends, you'd obviously walk them every day. You'd... Um, you do your a little bit of your training and because you'd have to that was very consistent always doing something with them depending on what you'd done previously in the week so um they would um they would learn when you put your uniform on your, your overalls and all that sort of stuff um you know that um yeah you're you're going to work um yeah. so everything became just a repetitive habit forming exercise which again is another another big part of a, a police dog's life was you know repetitive habit forming exercises which is was a big part of our training yeah so, that, that said monday to friday like when when you were at work how much time did you actually get to train your dog uh down at the academy no no once you did get into the force um well we're always in the police force but do you mean once you were so once graduated no we oh once graduated we would do a lot of training with other dog handlers we'd have actual training days um yeah. so where we weren't operational we'd it'd be a training day and that's where you'd set up your scenarios your tracking scenarios your searching you might do your attack work 
you know, it, they'd mix it up all at, all the time. Um, but you, you, your tracking was your main work. Tracking and searching was, you know, your bread and butter to uh, like once you're out operational. So, um, yeah. And in at the academy in those sixteen weeks, what are you taught as a police dog handler? Um, so um, you just you go through um, all the theory about dogs, you know, um, you know, bone structure and, and teeth and all that sort of stuff. Lots of theory you, you know, you do go through. Um, you learn um, basically, you know, your obedience, um, you know, with, with healing, your sit, your stays, your um, speak. Uh, getting them to bark is is obviously a very important sort of part, and that was really hard if you didn't have a dog that wouldn't bark. You had mm-hmm. to you every day you had to time to the fence, do whatever you could to make that dog bark. Um, I was really lucky because Jake picked it up straight away and um, used to use a good old command speak, um, which was great because yeah, you, you needed needed them to be vocal at times, you know, when they found an offender or when they found a, a missing person, you know, they, they they sit and they just bark until, you know, the handler comes, you know, to where they are. So, um, yeah, again, you go through the agility. So everything starts off small um, and then just, you know, increase as they progress. Same thing with the obedience, you know, um, start off sort of simple and and progress um you're tracking like i i I harp on about um you know when we do a track it wasn't like we ourselves used to have to go out and lay our like lay tracks for other handlers as well so you were taught about your point of line of sight and things like that um were really important um to make sure that your tracks were were concise so you were taught about um scent work um so which was really really interesting because um so us as humans whilst we're sitting here um we've got all this scent on us okay our our own perspiration our perfume our laundry liquid our you know all this sort of stuff is just like saturating the chair and the ground where we are okay um so i always try to sort of explain to people it's like when you're fueling up a car on a really hot day and you can see the vapors going up that's Mm -hmm. exactly what is happening when um you know that that scent that's the sort of scent that we are leaving as human scent and then if I was to run away, okay, we leave all this ground scent. So that's the um, the um, the crushing of your boots on the ground and the dirt and the, you know, insects and debris and vegetation and all of that that you're disturbing, okay, there's all this scent coming up out of the ground as well as your human scent coming down, okay. And also, like, if you were chasing an offender you've also got the fear factor into it their adrenaline their fear makes everything even more you know um concentrated and and saturated so 
Um, basically, we're taught, um, you know, with, with tracking all about scent, um, the factors that affect it, um, which are your, um, which what I discussed before about your your wind. I'm just trying to get some of my notes because this, this was a long time ago. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. Oh, I've got to try and wing this. Um, there you are. It was wind. There was ground disturbance. Ground disturbance. Um, um, time. Humidity. Time is a, is a big thing. If if the weather is right, so um, just say it's a, a dewy morning, um, you know, and there's dew on the ground, perfect, um, because that also helps trap the scent down on the ground, stops it um, coming up. On a humid day, it does the opposite. You know, the scent rises and dissipates. Um, rain, if you have intense rain, well, it washes it away. Um, so there's uh, lots of factors like that. Um, so, yeah, time's of the essence. So you get to a job, like, you know, as, as quick as you can, uh, what you've got to do. Okay, for example, say there's a stolen car and the bloke's dumped the car and taken off into bushland or into suburbia or, you know, and you've got to get your dog out, harness him up, search for that uh, scent patch where he, he left and most of the time, well, he's gotten out of the driver's seat, so there's a good starting point. You cast your dog, okay, because he will tell you where where he left and in what direction he went from. Can I just clear one of these old-fashioned fallacies <laughs> about, oh, look, he left his jumper in the driver's seat. Here, smell this, dog. <laughs> BS, total BS. It doesn't work like that, okay? It's the fact that... Oh, no, I've seen a few movies. It has to be true, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Um, once you cast your dog, uh, depending on your dog's behaviour, you know, the way he pulls into the harness, he, he, it's basically, I don't want to make it sound simple, but it is a bit of join the dots, um, you know, and then the other thing to consider is that, you know, when someone is running away, they don't run in zigzags, okay, <laughs> they run straight and they run as fast as they can, and they, they might put a few sort of variants in, but they don't do zigzags, okay? They're hot, they're hot footing it through the bush or through, through the suburbs. So basically joining your dots and away you go. So down in Goulburn, it's, it's very um, uh, uh, sanitised type area, okay, because, oh, the other important thing I totally forgot about pedestrian traffic so if you had an offender and suddenly you know the the um, greyhound bus has pulled off and everybody's come out and they've all walked across the track and there's people everywhere and all of that well goodbye because all their scent is down there as well so you know um that that can be that can you know make or break it as well um what else do they teach you down there? Um, searching. So another part of your work is searching searching bushlands or searching suburbia and your dog, it might be suitable to put a tracking harness on your dog and, um, and a lead. You may have to let him go and let him search backyards 
and uh, you know that type of stuff and so that's when they're using their nose up in the air not so much on the ground it's more up in the air for for human scent and you know your wind scent and that type of stuff um so that was a, another type of searching that we do we also search you know um, vehicles trucks houses buildings you know containers all sorts of things so um and it could also be for um articles you know it can be for stolen gear or or you know um multitude of things that has human scent on it and one thing i probably need to just um talk about as well police dogs work for their play that is what drives them okay so um at the end i mentioned with that track at the end of the track was a, a rubber ring and at that rubber ring, I am going to give that dog the time of his life with that toy because he's just done the best thing in the world. And the play and the 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 you know the time you spend with them, they're they're driven on play. You know, they they drive to play and to um, you know, to work and to to make you happy is was it was just huge. You know, they they just um, yeah, they love their work and they love the reward at the end, whether it's an attack arm, whether it's a play. Like I've, I've played with my dog with a, oh, back in those days, a two-cent coin, you know, if that's if that's the only toy I could find around the place and, you know, you add suspicion and, you know, inquiry and, you know, you grab it and, oh, he's got it and then, you, you know, all this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. You really learn how to play with the dog and, and be involved with them. So a lot of their work is for the play at the end, you know. Yeah, it's no different to us working for and having a beer at the end of the day, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, and then you've got your um, your man work. That speaks for itself if you're going to, you know, pretty dangerous jobs uh, where you're going to have to release your dog to, to actually you know, latch onto someone. Um, that's that's a, a pretty serious, um, you know, position to sort of be in. Um, you know, you you don't look at that lightly at all. There's there's huge factors and huge repercussions. But you know, um, you, you sum it all up depending on the job. Like you've, you've got someone that's just rubbed a bank and he's taken off with, you know, with a with um, you know, a firearm and, and, and whatnot, well, that's, a, you know, reasonable, um, you know, any, yeah, reasonable position where you may have to release your dog to um, to take him down. So, um, and then drug work, that's a whole new topic. <laughs> that was unreal. Um, Jake was brilliant at, at drug work. And the other thing I might add too with... Um, Depending on what we were doing with the dogs, they had certain equipment that they would wear. And that was how they used to decipher, okay, I'm tracking, okay, I'm searching, okay, I'm doing drug work. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, I'll put the, the drug work just to the side for now. We'll just see what questions may come up. You ever had any nervous friends that said, don't bring Jake around? 
<laughs> so always, always weary because his nose dictated everything. So it didn't matter. He, he just put his nose in your face or, you know, in your lap or you might open your car door to get out and there was Jake and his nose was in there sniffing what he could. Like he just, just about could not turn off. Um, you know, yeah, but a lot of fun because I, I knew he wasn't a super aggressive dog. Like it, so, some police dogs, like, there's no way you're going to go up and pat that thing. Like it's ferocious. Well, Jake was very, very friendly um, until the time he got hurt. And that's another thing they teach you um, down at the academy and developing your bond and all of that. You don't realise how um, how your uh, um, your bond is going until your dog's hurt. It's like like a member of your family. If someone's going to hurt your child, okay, that's probably the the best way of relating to it. So um, once your dog gets hurt out there, you you see another side of yourself you never think thought you you know you you you'd have but yeah that's horrible when your dog gets hurt and you you do you just you just do what you need to to um you know to um yeah have him succeed and and um it makes them very weary of people after that so that was another thing coming out of the academy and into the real world where you know you are an operational you know police dog handler um there's no goldman goldman academy no sort of you know nice little area this is the real mccoy and so it it can it you know it's it can be a little bit hairy out there but yeah you've just it it makes for a better dog handler and a better dog if they do get hurt because they've got to be streetwise um so they're not streetwise down at Goulburn because everything is, you know, very protected. Sanitized. Yeah, sanitized. That's a word I was trying to figure out. <laughs> um, yeah, no, very, and the real world and getting streetwise is the probably the hardest thing you you and your dog have got to learn because, um, yeah, yeah, you don't know what you're in for till you're out there and and in the thick of it. So. So now you're in the real world. What what did it look like? Oh God! Okay, um, I, there was different sorts of um, bit of discrimination. I might add. Um, you know, it was tough being a female. Just before, you, just before you touch there, do you want to grab that question? This this one. Yep. Um, Valerie Davis has asked, "What challenges did you face as a woman?" Great question. Um, I've had to write this one down because I really had to reflect on it this afternoon. Um, it, you know, for a start, my induction course, I was competing against the blokes, uh, you know, and I know, well, I, I'd like to say when they were wanting to select a dog handler, my idea was they're looking for a big, butch, tough girl, you know, um, yeah, pretty um, pretty tough and gutsy, and that wasn't me. And I, I knew that you know, I knew I had that up against me um, because I was, I was only slim and slight. Um, 
And some of the dog handlers, well, they give you a bit of a hard time, but, you know, it, it was it was tough. Um, some of the other uh, operational police out there, you'd go to jobs and, you know, they were super keen to see how you'd go. Um, you're under a close eye everywhere you went because you were different, um, you know, and some of them knew other dog handlers and, you know, they just, yeah, you know, you, you, you had to prove yourself, um, that's for sure. It was, it was tough, um, but I learned to compensate as well for my, you know, lack of physical strength. Um, you know, for example, jumping over six six foot fences and things like that. Um, I may not have, you know, the upper body strength that a bloke has, but I could get over that fence because I used to jump on my horse from a standstill at his wither. And that's how I got over fences, you know, because that's how I did on my horse. You know, I didn't always have a saddle. Um, you know, I just had to make do with what I had until I had the money to get one. So, <laughs> you know, I, I learned that's how I would get over fences. I would just throw my leg over and, and up we go. And it was challenging at times because there were times where not only are you wearing your arms and appointments and my belt around my waist was fully loaded. So you had your firearm, <clears throat> you had your portable radio, you had your torch, you had your handcuffs, you had your ammunition, you had uh, a baton ring. Um, basically, there was no more room on that belt for anything else. And that was a that was about oh, never really weighed it, but it was a good sort of seven kilos or something rather like that and then if you were wearing a kevlar bulletproof vest and you were searching backyards those things were so heavy because they're ceramic plates so you know and you got your big gp boots on and everything else you know and away you go you had to get over these fences and you know so your fitness you had to maintain that you know um yeah a lot so i just learnt with my size i, I had to you know, um, accommodate and, and find easier ways of doing things. Um, sometimes I'd be more agile, you know, but, you know, I can get into small small places or <laughs> had to get up into, um, into roof cavities and things like that and put your dog up in there because, you know, there's plenty of roofs that, that you know, baddies get up into and, um, you know, you had to be able to climb up into them and actually get into some of those small areas. So that that's where it was good. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm not going to say I wasn't discriminated against. You know, I, I was. Um, and it was tough. Um, it was one of the last male bastions in the police force that did not have a female in it. Um, and... They kept us out as long as they could until, <laughs> you know, it, it was just a sign of the times, you know. You, you had to, to show equality and things like that. So, um, you know, yeah, yeah, we got there and there's certainly lots of women in there now. So go girls. <laughs> so what was the average day for you and Jake? Um, so... You know, you'd, you'd start either a morning shift or afternoon shift. You did lots of night shifts. Um, 
And you'd also do lots of special operations where, say, out at Moree, they were having lots of trouble with the Indigenous communities out there, you know, running amok. You know, they used to send, you know, one or two dog handlers out there to go and, you know, just tidy it up. And they were the cream jobs because you you got to go away and, you know, that, that was that was pretty cool. Um, so you'd start off here and obviously, you know, get all kitted up, grab your dog, you know, he's usually like barking his head off, super keen to go to work. He knows what to do in the car. We had Commodores back in those days and, um, yeah, it got really noisy, you know. He was so excited and whenever you'd acknowledge a, a job on the radio, oh, my God, I got caught out plenty of times swearing at the dog. Still had my hand on the radio and oh, it was like, but anyway, yeah, he was just super keen. Um, and you could, there'd be times where there wasn't a lot of work, so you'd go and do a lot of foot patrols of schools, industrial areas, parks, um, that type of stuff. You could, you know, you might have to go back to the station and do some of your, your briefs for any of your arrests and things like that that you've done. Um you know, you'd just be patrolling, waiting for a, a potential job to, to, to back police up and um, use your dog, dog in any way that you could. Um, you know, walking down in down train stations and dark alleys at night, what, whatever was needed. Um, you know, um, sometimes the stealth mode was the, the way you'd go, um, you know, when schools were getting broken into and set alight and things like that at night. You'd you'd park somewhere secluded and you'd go for your little walkthroughs and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Um, I think, it I think changed so much, I'm guessing, yeah. being general duties. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely, definitely. Um, <clears throat> you got to go to a lot of different stations and, and work with a lot of really cool police, like, um, you know, your, your network of friends and and. Um, the camaraderie you, you had was was really good. Um, but, yeah, we'd do a lot of training as well, you know, whenever we could. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. You know, we've got a few questions. You might work through a few of them and get back onto track a bit there as well. But So Daniel Lenzo's asks, did you have anyone that was stupid enough to confront your dog or think they could outsmart him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I there was one job that uh, let me see. I'll just lead into this is this was probably one of my most outstanding jobs that I really, you know, I look back on and go, wow, that that was fantastic. So um, at Borkham Hills, it was around midnight, one o'clock. One o'clock in the morning, um, at the um, there used to be the old Bull and Bush Hotel. Oh yeah, I, I yeah. remember it. I do not remember it so greatly. <laughs> <laughs> not there anymore. I can't say I remember yeah. it. <laughs> oh no. Anyway, so there are a couple of guys that had been out there, and uh, one guy decided, "No, I'm 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 done. I'm going home." And he left his mate at the pub, and so his mate had a few more drinks, and you know wandered back home pretty inebriated and wandered into the wrong house and wandered into um 
a girl's bedroom and she's woken up to this stranger in the house and screamed. Dad's come out, you know, this bloke's, you know, realised what was going on and belted the father and <clears throat> took off out the front door. Now, um, that was basically what I was told when I got called to the job. So harness the dog up for a track. Ideal um, tracking situation because it, it was at night and it was dewy and there was no pedestrians, you know, at that time of night. Um, everything was just really perfect for, for the track. And seriously, Jake tracked from the, the front door. He, he did go across the road further down and then cross back over. So what's happened is this bloke's thought he's gone into his mate's house because it looked similar from the outside and then realised, oh, shit, I'm in the wrong place. And then, you know, and then he's taken off and then he's run down to the correct house, you know, through the front door and, you know, jumped into bed. Well, we've, we've just done this textbook track where, you know, we've gone, followed his track and the dog's gone up the stairs to the house, literally to the front door, sniffing up and down the front door. He basically, you know, I feel I feel like I, I need a cartoon of a police dog pointing. He's in there, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just that's that's what it was like. And so, all right, righto, guys, and that's when you call on the other police because there's always other police with you. So from their patrol. So um, and you always have backup. Like there's always a couple of coppers in tow. Um, and anyway, so I said, righto, he's in there. So I've basically finished my job and I'm waiting down on the footpath talking with the sergeant. And next thing you know, the description of this bloke appears. He's taken off out the back door. So he said to, to the coppers, can I just go and grab my shoes? They're just at the back door there because he was being arrested and uh, he thought, right, now's my chance. And he took off out the back door, around the side of the house, across the front yard, and that's where I've seen him. And I'm like, wait, what? So I sent my dog and he's taken off after him round down the side of the house. And uh, by the time I've got to him, he's, he's grabbed Jake around the jewel lap. And he's picked him up and he's thrown him into the side of the house a couple of times and fell down. And that's what I've seen. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Anyway, this is what I mean. When you know your dog's hurt and being hurt, you just, you just, yeah, you just become possessed. And I'm just like furious at this bloke. And I'm just like, let him go, let him go. And I'm wrestling with him. And he's grabbed me at the time. And um, anyway, I belted him a couple of the times, a couple of, well, quite a few times for him to let him go <laughs> with something that I probably shouldn't have done. Uh, but anyway, let the dog go. And Jake was just mauling his legs. He was so cranky. Anyway, typical of other police working with a dog handler, they don't want to get too close to the dog because <laughs> that many times they've been bitten and, you know. Anyway, I look along the fence and there's three coppers standing up against the fence, you know, and I'm like, come on, fellas, give me a hand, you know. <laughs> we ended up grabbing him and um, handcuffing him and 
taking him back to the station. Well, part of your duty when you've um, your dog's bitten someone is you've got to you've got to put in all the reports of, of the injuries. So I've gone and seen this bloke, and he's gone. Um, I said, oh, you know, have you got got any injuries? You know, from from the dog, and he. You know, I said, show me around your legs and all of that. He's going, no, nah, no, nah, they're nothing. That was a bike accident I had the other day, but my flaming head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm not really sure how that happened, not. And that was the only, like, <laughs> like that's what I mean. You just, like, do whatever it takes, um, you know, when your dog's being hurt. That dog was so streetwise after that. I could walk him on a hill and, like, there was no one that was coming near me or him. He, he turned quite um, quite reactive and it was good because that, that's how they need to be, um, you know, they need to be. Um, Did you feel safer w- with him after he changed? Not safe is probably not the right word, but. No, no, you, you feel you, armoured. Yeah, you do. You you it do. Became so, real a dog then, like you do, because you know, like I don't know. You you do feel they're going to protect you, um, but it's not un- until you yeah, like I said, you get out there, your dog gets hurt, someone comes at you when they really switch on all those tendencies. So that um, yeah, that made him so so reactive, and it was good. Like I said, it was. It's yeah. what he needed, um, but he didn't need to get hurt. But he just he needed to know that this is a real world. Uh, we used to do a lot of foot patrols too down at um, um, Cabramatta where the drugs were really bad down there. And did you know dogs can discriminate against certain types of people? They, they, <laughs> they learn by association, right? Yeah. So Jake did not like Asians. Pardon any yeah. Asians. Um, okay. It is what it is, right? And so we used to do a lot of foot patrols and it was good when you were bored and nothing's happening, you know, you'd go, oh, go for a walk down Cabramatta and you'd walk down there and, you know, you'd, you'd have these Asians sort of walking past you, oblivious to the fact that you've got a dog. And Jake would just lunge at them and they would just jump onto the other side of the footpath and you'd go, oh, Oh, Jake, good boy, mate. Well done, mate. Good boy. You know, and and just have that bit of fun. But he just, he thought they were weird. They were weird. So a little bit of discrimination (laughs) there too, definitely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Question here from Michelle Hanley. She's asked, what was your proudest moment with Jake? Another good question. My proudest moment I reckon would be I went to a missing person out at Penrith. Um, There's a nursing home somewhere out there near a, uh, there must like a, a, um, I think it's near a pub or a bar or something or other. Um, Was it? It's not Panthers. Anyway, it was near a near some sort of a, a, a hotel, and anyway, this dear old man um, had dementia, and he said to the staff that he's going to get on a train to Stratfield to see his son. 
And from where this nursing home was, he, he could have done that. Um, it was quite accessible for him to do that. So it had been 24 hours before police were called. Um, and so because they all just assumed he's gotten on a train, he's gone to see his son, you know, that type of stuff. Well, anyway, um, got called to this job and the nursing home had big grasslands around it and a, and a bit of marshland. So there was water and some sort of marsh. I can't quite remember. That's about, yeah, can't remember exactly where it was. So I sent Jake out for a search and just thought, oh, yeah, we'll just go for a bit of a wander, have a bit of a look around here. And sure enough, he found this fellow. Um, he found him in the long grass. Uh, he passed out. He had hypothermia and, um, you know, had um, sunburnt and, you know, he really wasn't in a good way at all. And I was just so surprised because sometimes we can all get a bit complacent and we can all sort of think, ah, yeah, he's gotten on a train, you know, rah, rah, rah. Mm. And it really taught me, you know, just not to have doubts like that. Um, so obviously, you know, called an ambulance, you know, this lovely man was, um, you know, taken to hospital and, and he was okay. Um, and I went back the next day because I wanted to meet this fellow in, you know, back in his normal sort of environment and the state that he was in and just, you know, just meet him. And it was so sad because I didn't know anything about dementia back then. And the nursing staff sort of said, look, you know, honey, he's he's not even going to know who you are. He's not even going to remember what happened yesterday. Like he's, he's you know, he has dementia really, really bad. Um, and as much as that was probably a very proud moment for me, uh, it was a really sad moment as well because I just, yeah, yeah I you know, like, we found him and, and he, he was okay, but sadly, you know, he had dementia. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Karen Higgins has asked the question. There's a couple of um, parts to her question. First of all is, what's the average work life for a police dog? That's Yeah, good question. Um, they average out about, <laughs> they like to say 10 years. They, um, back in my day, they are actually on the asset register of the police force okay and i remember something like thirty thousand dollars to train a police dog so that's what well, that's what their worth was back then i i don't know about it now and strangely enough and stupidly enough the old like the older your dog you know gets from you know out in the real world he's actually becoming more valuable because he's more streetwise, he's learning more, he's been exposed to more, he's getting better at, you know, the real-life stuff, <laughs> their price um, devaluates, you know, <laughs> their, their asset amount goes down the, the older they become. <laughs> I hope yeah. to God that that's changed now because, you know, to get a, a streetwise, you know, a, a good... Oh, Absolutely. Working dog, they're worth a mint. So most they like them to back then to, to get ten years out of them. But I only got with Jake. Um, 
yeah, four years. So Jake would have been about six uh, when he developed um, a horrible condition called spondylosis, um, which is a, I believe it's like a deterioration of the cartilage uh, in the spine and um, very arthritic, very, very painful. And he, it was so painful that he couldn't jump into the back of the um, Commodore. That's that's how we, we first sort of detected it. So um, sadly, we, you know, took him down to Bob Zamets and had all the tests in the world and, and you know, that that's, you know, what he came out as having. And, um, yeah, <clears throat> that was my time then to, um, to have to retire him, which was devastated because it was sooner than, you know, than I thought. So... Yeah. Yeah. Did you think at first maybe he was just discriminating against Commodores? <laughs> Don't go down that track. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm a holding boy. <laughs> there's, another, there's another part to, to Karen's question here. And basically she's asking, who were the instructors at the academy? Like what was their background? Were they police officers? Were they dog trainers? Yeah. No, police officers. Yeah. So all they were all... Um, police officers, um, so they'd, they'd been, you know, either doing general duties or, or higher patrol or whatnot and then um, got into the dog squad themselves and then decided, okay, I'm, um, you know, I've had enough operational work, I want to be a trainer. Um, so there was three um, trainers down there. We had a, a sergeant and, and two senior constables. Um, so they lived you know, down at Goulburn. Um, they were also involved in the first lot of um, police puppies using police dogs. Uh, and at that time, we only had, all, all our police dogs were males. Um, we only had one female dog that was my sergeant's. Um, uh, her name was Sage. She was a brilliant dog, but she was D6. But um, so we used a police police dog over, you know, a, a female um, that wasn't operational and, you know, bred puppies and, and whatnot. But most of the time we would select our dogs um, through members of the public. <laughs> this is really archaic back in the day. Um, people that didn't want their shepherds anymore had to fit the criteria. We would may, maybe pick one out of 100 dogs that we assessed um, having those qualities I mentioned before about the high drive and retrieval, they had to be, you know, 12 months of age, um, you know, all those sorts of things. So it was really hard to find a, a good dog. And then you may have that dog, put him on a training course and, you know, he, he just mightn't, mightn't fit the bill. He, you know, might be capable of the work. So it, they were you know, it was hard to come by a good dog back then, but I believe um, things have totally changed now, and they're um, they're breeding their own with their own blood, um, working bloodlines and stuff like that, which is good. It's actually it's funny you mention that because some um, government departments still actually kind of lotto dogs, right? They, they still go through rescue groups and and rehoming yeah. organisations. Well, you know, a lot of military are still like, have you said, got their breeding cells. But yeah, yeah that, there are other government organisations out there still doing it the way you just explained. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I've actually got a dog at home um, now, a German Shepherd called Kaiser. Um, I named him after my very first shepherd we had as um, as kids. Um, when I saw him, uh, I just oh, had to have this dog anyway. Pay, paid a fair bit of money. Came from a lovely home down there in Sydney. And I knew because um, the owners either wanted to rehome him, um, but they were quite specific about their needs for him, or ring the dog squad and see if they wanted him. And when I saw him and I, he had all the characteristics of a police dog, <laughs> he, he just amazing. Anyway, anyway, he came to live with me and, you know, sadly that dog has the same condition as Jake. Um, he's oh. now eight years old. He's got spondylosis. Um, He's very, very crippled. Um, he's on cartrophin and Medicam and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, so I, I like to think that I saved him <laughs> from the dog squad. Um, but um, he had all the characteristics that would have suited them. So, um, yeah, yeah. So... After he retired, um, what did life look like for Jake? Okay, so after he retired, I decided to leave the dog squad um, because if I was to, uh, like Jake came back with me, like, um, yeah, he was to live the rest of his life out with me, but I had the option of retraining another dog um, and I knew that that would be a, a another commitment for at least, a, you know, a good five to ten years in the dog squad. And my biological clock was ticking and I'm just like, oh, you know what, I actually think I'm done here. Um, we bought a, the house that we're in now out in the, um, uh, yeah, Upper Hunter. And I thought, yeah, no, I, I want to go and start a family. So I transferred to um, to Musselbrook and worked in general duties there. Uh, I had Jake at home and um, I ended up going to highway patrol. Um, and I also, with Jake, bred my one and only litter of pups. He was a sire and I had a very good friend of mine um, that bred beautiful German shepherds down at Castle Ray and anyway it, she was a maiden bitch and I was very I had no idea you know uh, what was expected having a litter, litter of pups and what, what was to go on so anyway she had um, eight pups and uh, one of those pups was a dwarf German Shepherd um, the smallest dwarf Bob Zammett down there at Vineyard um, had ever seen. So I remember wishing one day, I like most young people, that um, oh, I wish they would stay puppies. Oh, there's puppies. Yeah. Well, I got a puppy uh, that stayed a puppy and she was quite deformed, God love her. I called her Monique. Um, she used to paddle with her front legs. Um, she had to be on thyroid tablets all her life, but... Being a dwarf, 
not meant to live long life. Uh, she outlived her brother. Um, so, yeah, anyway, out of that litter of eight, only three survived because I would go to work down, you know, an hour away and I thought, you know, the mother would go back into the whelping box, feed her babies, and I'd come home from an eight-hour shift um, two hours travel, an hour each way, and, you know, check that the puppies were alive. And unbeknownst to me, she she hadn't been feeding them and, and I I had no idea. I just thought, you know, nature would take over and everything's, you know. Not all rainbows and butterflies. Easy, is it? easy, little... Japanese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I learned the hard way and I, I just, I was so emotional about losing these puppies and, and I just, yeah, that was that was me and breeding done and dusted in one go. So, um, yeah, so Jake only had one litter uh, and I truly think, yeah, in the in the real, like if he was out in the wild, he wouldn't have sired many. He just, yeah, yeah that, that was a, an interesting exercise, even just getting <laughs> the mate, oh, my God. What was the process then of, let's call it like decommissioning, a, a, an asset like him you know like were there hurdles and hoops to jump through no no so um obviously you know you as that dog's handler that had bonded and worked with that dog for so long you got first option if you wanted him and you know the majority of dog handlers don't part with their dogs um ever really um so he was yeah decommissioned and signed over to me and um yeah lived live the rest of his life out here um on our property so we're on 30 acres out here and lots of room to run and um <clears throat> we at the time i'm just thinking back just to you know finish jake's story um being in horror patrol i would um go to a lot of accidents and you know, fatals and all that sort of stuff and went to a bad fatal involving, a, you know, a family of um, family of five where there was one surviving young boy um, and it basically, it, it yeah, it, it did a lot of damage. So I'd like to say it was like I got bit really badly by a big black dog without an attack arm and hence uh, it took me 10 months to to realise I've got PTSD. Um, and <clears throat> that particular accident, um, the very next day, uh, Jake ended up with bloat and I had to have him put down. So um, he was too far gone. So yeah, I had had a terrible time, terrible time back then. Um, yeah, so yeah. And that might lead into that. What, what are you doing now? Okay, so I, um, retired from the police force back in 2016. I, I liked, well, I prefer to call myself a police veteran, a little bit like a Vietnam vet. Um, retired, uh, medically discharged. And I ended up 
um, working with children uh, at a beautiful little local preschool. Um, and I worked there just shy of um, 14 years. I had a brilliant time um, teaching preschoolers, three to five-year-olds, um, you know, just their their beautiful little minds, their trainability, their, um, you know, their imagination, their uh, deep, the beautiful families that we have in the area were, you know, and, and are fantastic people. Um, watching these, these little ones grow and, you know, getting them to that stage where they're off to big school. And uh, big school was right next door. Our, our little preschool was inside the, the school grounds. And uh, then you got to see their growth through primary school as well. And, you know, being, you know, a small community, you'd, you'd watch them progress through high school. And, and even now, you know, a couple of years after high school, I, I still see some of my oh, they, I had them at my preschool, you know, type thing. So, you know, that, that growth has been fantastic. But about three weeks ago, I, you know, retired from preschool. So I'd, I'd had enough and it was now time for me to spend some time at home. I've been involved with um, German Shepherd Rescue New South Wales, um, some amazing women and and blokes uh that volunteer there um you know there's uh, i aspire to be like one particular woman i i i won't mention her name um but she's she started i think she, might, be, think she might even be listening tonight oh god i hope so that would be awesome. Um, I may see her name on our list here. <laughs> well, she, I'm just going to brag about her. She has re rescued and rehomed well over a 1,000 German Shepherds in her time. And she is amazing, uh, the, the, the time and effort that, that you know, she dedicates. Um, there's another couple of women that I oh, fasting to tell you their names but I can't. <laughs> I'm fortunate um, enough to know who you're speaking about. Yeah, uh, I know. And fantastic people. Fantastic people. Absolutely. They're dedicated. They drive to the end of the world to rescue a German Shepherd, you know, in need. And, you know, having the um, camaraderie we all have, um, once a year we, we get to have a get-together and have our ladies' day and we you know, have just have a feed and some of some of them bring their dogs and we ha just have a chat and we just, ah, you know, that that just, yeah, my, my whole year is based around that particular day. Mm -hmm. I love those days catching up. And how long have you been involved with that particular organisation now? Um, I'm going to say only about five years. Um, yep. So I started off being, well, my intention was to be a foster carer. But then I ended up with the title of a failed foster carer. And that's, <laughs> when you collect them. that's when you collect them. Because to me, um, especially with my PTSD, German Shepherds are my world. And all I wanted was to have as many German Shepherds on our place that I could fit. And there's just never enough. And then <laughs> I learned the hard way. I had quite a few at the time probably nowhere near as much as you guys have, but 
um, I'm going to say I've probably had about, well, we've got two, two Kelpies, two working dogs that are my husband's and I've got two little fluffies. Um, and then I reckon I would have had about 11 or 12 German Shepherds. Um, probably the most I had, I had two sets of bonded pairs. I've got four of my own that were failed. Uh, and they were just, I just kept failing. And then I realized <laughs> with all of these shepherds accumulating that they weren't like, they weren't thriving like they should be. Like, yes, they were having the time of their lives. Um, but being a herd animal, being a pack animal, you know, there was always a leader and then there was always a subordinate, subordinate. And then, you know, there was, you know, I've, I've, I've got a bit of a rank happening with my fall that I've got, um, you know, now as it is. But I could see that, you know what, that bonded pair needs to go to a home together where they can be loved, you know, and spent the time, you know, and the unconditional love and all of that, that's where they need to be. And so I started successfully rehoming and I was a I was a bit fussy about where they would go. Um, you know, I always had input into the the applications and, you know, would make contact. And as a result, I've I've met some lifelong friends. Um, one of my dogs is up in um oh, like Bundaberg, somewhere around there. And, you know, I have such a good friendship with with um you know, with his new owners, um, you know, a lot of people that I still keep in contact with and that's that's what gives, that's my reward, you know, knowing they've gone to a, a, a better place and they're being enjoyed and loved and they send photos and things like that. That's that's just, you know, icing on the cake for me. Absolutely. So, yeah. and, and you mentioned bonding there and, well, let's be honest, like having experienced it ourselves, like some of these shepherds actually aren't easy to rehome, right? They they get very bonded to their yeah. family. They're a pretty dedicated animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're a bit different to some other breeds of dogs out there that I suppose we're more familiar with in, in the, let's call it the stock dog scene because um, they're all working dogs at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Um, but like some of these dogs, they can really, if something happens to a handler, some of the dogs can actually go downhill quite quickly themselves. Yeah, 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 100%. Um, they, they can get very... Um, very anxious and very needy like they're very routine habitual animals like probably most breeds do but I just know because I've I've always had German Shepherds and I did have cattle dogs at one stage as well when I was growing up but um they they like their structure they like their routine you know like the walks of the mornings or you know the runs on the quad bike or um you know that type of stuff and you've certainly got to set your boundaries with them you know like uh I don't let all my dogs in the house all at once you know I, I'll pick a couple at a time you know they'll have their time in you know and I'll rotate them and you know but they're all made to feel special in in every way if I've got one hand on one dog I've got a you know a foot on this dog and a hand <laughs> on dog, kind of, you know sharing the love um you know and again, that that's what comes into that genuine emotion that you share with your dog. You 
you make eye contact, you, you know, you're patting your dog, you're smiling and you're, you know, they know when you're real, they, you know, they, they know when you, you really mean it. And, you know, I think that's, that's, you know, that's where the bond is, you know, is pretty strong with me and my dogs. Um, so, yeah, but when I introduce, just going back to the rescue, if I was to rescue a, a shepherd, uh, I go through a bit of a process here at home that I've kind of figured out, you know, a, a little bit myself. Um, so four of my shepherds, I've got um, Jeddah. Uh, she came from an Aboriginal commune, actually, um, and just just used to wander about everywhere and go and walk about. And um, anyway, the council picked her up and nah, she couldn't stay there. So she got um, in contact with me and um Jetta was actually the name of a red cattle dog I had as a kid and anyway Jetta's a female and I'm going to describe her as my Barbie doll my like <laughs> oh hi I'm Jetta <laughs> okay, so if you're introducing a you know a new rescue dog Jetta's the first one I you know I meet up with on the other side of the fence and you know and Jed is so submissive and wouldn't hurt a fly and that type of stuff. And then I'd go my next one up, which would be Coda. And Coda, he's a failed foster. And I named him Coda after a police dog um, whose handler, um, were, you know, selected me way back in the day. So I, I've named him after a police dog. And he's the coolest dog, this dog. Um, I ended up with... Um, uh, another um, pup out of his same litter and I also ended up with Coda's parents as well, a bonded pair that I've rehomed that I desperately wanted to keep but they're the ones that I really could see needed to, to move on and, and thrive in a home of their own. Anyway, so Coda's very much just like a playful puppy. He's a couple of years old but he's just, you know, loves life, you know. So then I'd slowly introduce that new dog to that. Um, then I've got a dog, Sarge. He's a, a long-haired shepherd, um, you know, Sarge, short for sergeant. Um, so he's my subordinate. Um, he, we call him the fun police because he walks <laughs> around with a bit of black pipe in his mouth and if playtime's getting too rough and burly, he's in there with that pipe. Whoa, break it up, break nut. Nah, nah, don't do that here. And he he knows his role. He's this um he likes to sit on the outside and just watch the play, but he's the the fun police that, you know, if things are getting a bit rowdy, he knows what he does. And then Kaiser, my um the, the beautiful one I got from Sydney. Well, Kaiser I always thought was a backyard bully. He was always barking and really aggressive and just like you know, he wouldn't get on with anyone and he was just, like, really hard and he comes from a working dog line. I've never had a working dog German Shepherd, working line German Shepherd before and he was hard work. But now he loves his job and he's the last one I introduce him to because he's got a lot of bark about him and he can put someone in their place and, like, he's my sort of dominant but, you know, he can, he can you know, so I, I usually sort of settle them in like that and it can sometimes, you know, I take over a whole day if it's only just me there or if my husband's home, I'll, you know, give him a dog and we'll, we'll 
make that sort of um, transition a bit a bit quicker. But um, yeah, those four shepherds they're, they're great. They've got um, they've got their purpose and they've got their job, and you know, yeah, they're um, they're pretty cool. They sound like an awesome team. And and you mentioned there a little bit earlier before we got into those dogs there that obviously you're in the um, Upper Hunter region uh, on a few acres there, and your husband's got some working working dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we've got about 80 sheep here at the moment. Um, and we've always like, my husband's always been interested in, um, in working dogs. Um, and around our area, we used to have quite a big trial every year, um, you know, locally, and we'd go down to watch and see what we could learn and pick up. And, we didn't we didn't get a really good reception. There wasn't a lot of people that wanted to help and, you know, like we'd sort of say, oh, look, we're super keen to get into this. This looks, you know, pretty cool. Um, you know, how, how do we go about sort of getting involved in, in this sort of, you know, dog trialling and, and three sheep and that sort of thing? We, we didn't get any sort of welcoming with open arms or anything like that. So we've... Um, We've had to sort of do a bit of learning. Like uh, my husband's got a terrific mate, Todd. Todd Aiken is his name, and he. We've got one of Todd's dogs, and um, I'm going to do a bit of name dropping here. So, <laughs> Gray's best dog is um, Pip, um, Beldale Pip. She's a, a four-year-old Kelpie, and. Um, her breeding goes back to um, on the dam side, um, Guida Jazz, which is a Tony Overton dog, mm-hmm. itch. Um, and she goes back to Sunraiser George oh. and Capri Nina. And then on the top end, uh, on the father side, um, um, Pip's dad is Yippie Tony, which is the dog that Todd's got. And he's by Harewood Spike. And something Sally. I couldn't really read the the writing, but um, (laughs) anyway, she's a great dog. And Todd has helped us tenfold with getting her going. Uh, Like we're best mates, like Gray and and Todd talk like every night. (laughs) And, um, um, you know, we've we've learnt a lot through Todd. Um, So... Just recently, we went to a Gary White um, dog school um, where we took Pip and um, and Gray's other dog, Eve. Um, my son came to, to that and um, Pip did so well. Like she, she held her own and we did not look out of place. Um, you know, yeah, she's going really, really good. So that's a, an interest, um, you know, we're, we're sort of a path we're heading down at the moment. It's more great working. I'm sort of there on the sidelines, you know, doing a bit of fence sitting, but um, I don't mind barking a few orders. And- <laughs> I was just, just going to ask it. Just, just, on, just on that, there's a, another question here. Um, John Burriston has asked, um, have you been to any working dog schools, which you have, if so, what did you get out of it and what similarities are there in training a working dog to a police dog? So um, 
That's a good question. Um, so your uh, working dog, you obviously you've got to have your control, your, your control at the start. So that comes in line with your obedience, okay? If you don't have control, if you can't make your dog sit, stay, drop, you know, um, that, that type of stuff, obviously they're going to run amok on sheep. So you've got to have that control. Um, the, the, the thing with your, your working dogs, uh, they've got that high drive, which is another comparison, fantastic. Um, you know, that movement of stock, you know, uh, they just hone in on. Um, obviously ours is, you know, doesn't quite relate, you know, with, with the police dogs in, in that animal sort of form. Um, and in all honesty, you, you actually didn't want a police dog that, you know, would see a rabbit or a roo or anything out mm -hmm. on a track like, oh, my God, that's that was your worst nightmare. But I was so lucky with Jake because he, he, he didn't worry about that type of stuff. Um, so you control your obedience, even sort of, uh, your patience, um, those sorts of things were, were very real. And obviously you start off small. So your training times, like your three-minute type training sessions, very similar to what we started with as well. Um, you would use with your working dogs, uh, thinking of your wind and your, 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 um, your commands with your dog. Um, I know uh, you've got your whistles, but but um, you also use your, your, your um, verbal commands. Um, you know that's going to get affected by wind and things like that. If the you know the sheep are all downwind and your dog is downwind, well, you're going to have to yell pretty damn loud and hard for that dog to hear you um, because everything's going against you. So you know, I know I learnt on that school that you know. If even wind affects, um, you know, your, your um, uh, control of your dog and things like that. Um, that's a good question. I'd have to think a bit more about that one and get back to you on that one. That, that. What, about, what about letting it go a bit? Like, well, let's be honest, like walking around with Jake was like walking around with a bullet in the chamber, right? Yeah. And then, so you have to have a lot of control. But then, a working dog, you kind of want to have a little less control on them sometimes, so they can think for themselves. So a little less mechanical. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because the majority of the time with a police dog, you, you you either have them on a lead or you have them on a long line. And when you don't, they're out there searching. So they they they're doing that sort of search. Whereas with your working dogs and that, um, you know, you've got their visual. Okay, you know, and they also use their nose as well, but you know, it's it's more visual. But you rarely see a a working dog putting his nose down on the ground to to track those sheep. He's mainly using like your um your airborne scent, you know, and his eyes, and you know. So yes, the nose is still working, um, but it, but his his eyes and his instincts um are, are just superior to, to what they're they're doing there whereas with us um as as a police dog because our you're out in suburbia you've got uh traffic you've got people you've got bikes you've got all sorts of things you've you've 
you know, you might be tracking a, a or or searching for an offender and you see him and he's about to run across the M1, you know, freeway after this bloke, you know, you've got to go back to your control and you've got to yell as hard and loud as you can to make that dog stop because he's going to get skittled. Um, so, um, yeah, you... Your controls probably your, your your control and your obedience is probably the the def, definite comparisons um, that you need for that um, for that question. Um, <clears throat> yeah. What What about the fact that like um, your police dog? You mentioned like that toy is a massive reward to them when the toy is let's say like a sheep dog is the sheep, right? That's the biggest reward at the end yeah. of the day. Yes. Yes. The, do you find that hard, like letting go that little bit of that little bit of control to let them work a bit, like because that is the ultimate reward when they do something? No, 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 no. Because really, at the end of the day, you you want to you want to have that catch. You want that body at the end. You want to be able to arrest someone. That's your big reward, you know. Yeah. And as much as you know, a lot of the time, you, your dog might get a bite out of it, you know, or. You know, it's it's that play you have at the end. Once you've got that, you know, that, that you know, baddie arrested and handcuffed and all of that, like, oh, chest is pumping, yeah, well done, good job, you know. That dog knows it just from, from the pat and all of that. But this is where um, having your training days is vital um, with other police dogs, other dog handlers and all of that. So that dog gets a win because sometimes you'll do a, a search or a track and there's no offender. And why isn't there an offender? He's jumped in a car and driven off, you know, or he's yeah. like he's just not there anymore. So your dog doesn't get a win. And you don't, like, it's inevitable sometimes that happens. They're gone. Um, so you, you've got to you've got to equal that up with your training sessions um, when you're not operational, so that dog gets a win, so he gets a play, so he gets sort of you know that pump up. Yeah, you're the man. Good dog. Yeah, <laughs> you know that sort of you know the reward because you, you've got to pump your dog up. Like he's he's got to have his chest out and you know like yeah nosy stuff. So um, it's a bit like um, I know this is a little bit off 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 track. Right. I've had this image in my head. It's like um, you know when your dog goes to the toilet, okay, and they go to the toilet, you know, and then what do they do with their paws? They dig the ground. Yeah, their back legs come out and they dig the ground. Yeah, what are they doing? The dog saying, yes, you know, Dan was here. I'm it, mate. I left that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I left that. Oh, am I? And he trots back to you and, you know, it's like his signature, he's, he's marked his stamp on the fact that this is me, you know, like dogs are driven by smell and, and that type of stuff. So, um, you know, that too, they, they scratching at the ground they're disturbing the ground the scents come up he's also left his business there and you know it's like a calling card yeah damn was he <laughs> so yeah <laughs> and with, with dan's here now um and with um your working dogs there what, what would you guys like to achieve with your working dogs 
Wendy we just dogs. Wendy just would love a start out there in the working dog community, doing what you guys do, doing what um, I'm going to do another name drop. Tracy Lindsay, she does mm -hmm. it, and and uh, Marie McKillop. Uh, oh, that's your mum, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just we just want to get a bit of a start and have a bit of fun. Uh, I've listened to a heap of your podcasts, and so many people comment on, you know the end of the day you're sitting around with your dogs and you're having a beer and you're having a chat and the friendships and um you know that the tips people might give you and just like you're all in it for the for the same reason and that's to have fun and okay you've got your serious people that's cool um but there's just people that just want to go out there and you know and work their dogs and and learn you know new new skills and you know how to improve their dogs so yeah we probably wanted you know something start off sort of something a little bit easy we'll probably sit on the fence for a little bit and um and make sure we've sort of sharpened up our our um you know the skills um but yeah definitely love to do what um what you guys do there you go on the 9th of may in the in the upper hunter there we've got the scone trial so Right. Today, uh, we yep. plan on being out there. Laura and Marie going to be out there I as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Come out and uh, I can't promise too many beers for a couple of hours drive. No, no. Kids, but uh, <laughs> no, I'll be for a cold one. Yeah, fantastic. We'll be there. Um, just about the, you know, the mingling and catching up with people. It's amazing how many people do that sport that you just had no idea do it. You yes. know, um, it, it's people that, that live in the Hawkesbury that may not have, you know, big acreage and whatnot, but, they, they, you know, they find a way to go and do training. You know, they network and they make friends and go to training schools and, you know, develop this, um, you know, this, this community that want to help each other. So that's, that's what we want to get into. Well, even um, to you here on tonight, like, you know, mum and dad have known you for years and all the rest and then dan says oh, i met this really cool bird yeah, and when that, when that met i met you and yeah it turns out you know mum and dad have known you for years you're my godmother and yeah it's <laughs> such a small world and now you're on dog talk like it's I'm just the, yeah look, it's just crazy it's, how it works 100 percent. and uh i am the worst dog <laughs> in the world uh but i follow you on facebook so i think <laughs> on you my dear but um yeah look friends for life um and it and it is like dogs bring people together horses bring people together and you know like so many people say you know half the time you don't you know your dog's name before you yeah <laughs> you know the owner's name sort of thing but yeah. um yeah no terrific yeah. Uh, yeah that's awesome um was there a question tonight that stood out to you and i'll win a bag of enduro high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat there was a question from val about um yeah as the a challenges you face as a woman yeah yeah, yeah. Because that, honestly, that that I think that sort of speaks my whole story, um, you know, way back then. Um, and, like, there's a lot of, 
you know, female dog handlers out there now doing specialist things. And I I certainly, towards the end of my time as a, as a police dog handler, I would do um, a lot of lectures to other um, female police that wanted to be dog handlers. And um, we would, there were some um, like induction schools and things like that just to show them, you know, if, if that's what they're in, uh, interested in, this is what you're exposed to. And I was, again, very honest. And I believe uh, that as a women make brilliant dog handlers, okay, but I think we are far better suited to specialist police dog handlers. So your drug work, you know, your, your bomb detection dogs, your, your all of those type specialist sections, okay, um, I'm not saying we, we can't be general purpose dog handlers, but, you know, there's challenges out there. You know, you're, you're, you're searching for a, you know, a hardened criminal that's broken out of, you know, Goulburn jail. And, um, you know, he knows that if he gets caught, he's going back to jail and never to be released. And, you know, that just the, the risks and all that involved. Yes, you've got your dog. Yes, you've got your gun. Yes, you've got, you know, all those sorts of things. But I just feel it's, it, it is a challenge that, you know, unless you're about to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some big burly bloke, and if you can do that, fantastic. Or, you know, or, or, or yeah, good on you, fantastic. But I just, I would personally... You know, my, my thoughts were that we make brilliant police dog handlers, um, but more for the specialist side. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Love yeah. your honesty. So, Valerie Davies, if you could get in contact with us. I did get the name right, didn't I? Yeah. Yep. If you could get in contact with us uh, here at Dog Talks, flick us a message um, and we'll go from there. You've got a bag of enduro coming your way. Um, also... Deb, bag of enduro coming your way. I'm sure your, your shepherds there are going to love it. Yeah. Uh, as just a token of our appreciation for coming on and having a chat awesome. with us tonight. Awesome. I could certainly have talked so much more about, like, so many different areas of policing, but I I knew I had to keep it in a... <laughs> so um, there's, yeah, anyway, but I've enjoyed every minute of it and, um, you know, the question's... Fantastic! I'm I'm glad I got some because sometimes you sort of think, oh, I don't know if anyone's really going to be that interested. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. So it was was yeah, it was refreshing. No, there, there was a lot of interest, and thanks heaps for giving us your time tonight. Pleasure. But Pleasure. Laura's not going to let you go that way. <laughs> let you go that easy and just remember you haven't got your service revolver with you anymore <laughs> when you answer this question <laughs> no. so would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks i'm going to say one duck the size of a horse don't know how i'd do it i'd probably probably send one of my dogs on them probably Why one of those, those little fluffies would bring them down those <laughs> little fluffies and uh, and I'd be cooking a, a roast duck for dinner. Yeah. You'd have to pull one of the fluffies out of the duck's neck from choking on it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for your time Thank tonight, Deb. Much Thank appreciated. You. And to everyone that um, got on tonight and asked questions and everyone listening back, 
Thank you very much. Much appreciate it. And please remember, we learn every day. And the day we stop learning will be a sad day for all of us. Thank, thank you. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Thank you.